disruption at every level probably quite foreseeable if you sat back and looked at it but the question then is depending where you are in that value chain are you an old gentile model because you've got a problem there haven't you your retail base is under siege and your coal-fired assets are starting to become redundant you know so what do you do you try and transition your business model how are you going to do that you know an interesting discussion new entrants are coming in saying well how do we get into this market that's more volatile than ever than on the wholesale side of things where do we go to for wholesale supply which leads to you know, things like behind the meter solar and battery, um, which is where we're seeing a lot of sort of progress being made in Australia in the last sort of three to four years. Hello and welcome to Energy Unplugged by Aurora. This podcast features various experts from Aurora having in-depth conversations with key industry leaders, policymakers and academics from all over the world. It explores the hottest topics across the energy market and gives a unique perspective on major energy issues. Welcome to Energy Unplugged. I'm Hugo Batten, Managing Director of Aurora in Australia, and I'm very much looking forward to today's discussion. We have Andrew Butler in today. He's currently the CEO of Nectar, an Australian energy retailer that's a subsidiary of the Korean group Hanwha. Andrew has now successfully led three retail energy startup ventures in Australia, Australian Power and Gas, Alinta East Coast Retail, and now Nectar, and he's also spent time in the telco and infrastructure space more broadly. He's also a noted sailor. Andrew, welcome to Energy Unplugged. Absolutely delighted you can join us. Thanks, Hugo. It's great to be here, mate. Terrific. Let's start off with your career in Australian energy. Um, you've seen the retail space shift in Australia pretty significantly over the last couple of decades. I think most observers would say it's become more competitive. But what are the other major themes you'd kind of identify in the evolution of Australian retail over, over that period? Yeah, well, I guess um, maybe the best answer, I'm, I'm no historian uh, by any means, but I guess uh, I've been around for, for over 35 years now, actually, just thinking about it. Um, I started uh, as an apprentice linesman for the then State Electricity Commission in Victoria, climbing poles. Um, you know, that was back in 1986. So... Got a few years under my belt now, starting to make me feel old. Um, I guess in that time, though, based on my experience, um, there's probably been three major themes over that period. Um, the first really was the emergence of you know, new energy retailers and privatisation. So, you know, the reason I mentioned the State Electricity Commission, you know, I was working for a, you know, a government-owned entity in Victoria that owned, you know, the poles and wires. Um, and, you know, during that period, uh, that business got split into five, uh, corporatised first and then privatised. So, you know, the then State Electricity Commission suddenly became, you know, uh, five businesses, Solaris Power, Eastern Energy, United Energy, uh, Power Core and City Power. And um, I ended up with Solaris Power. Um, and it was quite weird because, you know, you're one company, you've got mates across, you know, the SEC and the next minute you're pretending to compete with them. Um, and so, you know, the onset of competition, like, you know, many, many countries around the world, it was a, it was a phase transition to competition. Um, and in those early years, it started with commercial industrial customers. So, you know, you know, those five businesses started, you know, trying to win market share off each other uh, at the top end of town. 
Um, and it was bragging rights, really, because it was a, a zero-sum game, really. There was no new entrant retailers. It was just, you know, at the end of the year, who won more customers from one of the original five businesses? But, you know, those formative years, uh, you know, established market frameworks, you know, the regulatory framework started to come in. Customers started to understand that you could actually switch from one energy company to another. You know, I mean, back then, people were wondering if you had to run a new set of power lines into the house. They didn't understand how you could actually switch, physically switch, uh, energy suppliers. Um, it wasn't really until, you know, and this was the period sort of 1995 to 2005, just for your, for your listeners. So it was during that era that um, new entrants started to come in. And um, it really wasn't until the introduction of players like Australian Power and Gas uh, that um, demonstrated that not only a new entrant electricity retailer could come in, but they could take su significant market share off the incumbents. And I think that was the sort of the realization for many that hey, this this you know you know startups can happen, and you can become a if you like an essential service uh, and start to uh, build a startup in in what's a very regulated industry. Um, so you know we started to see a fair bit of market share uh, loss there to the to the to the retailers uh, that were in existence then. And, and that, of course, drove what we sort of the first round of copycat retailers, you know. So we got suddenly an influx of these, you know, startup retailers. Everyone wanted to be the, you know, the, you know, own their own energy company. You know, it's quite a, you know, quite a cool thing to have on your CV. What do you do? I started up an energy company. Well, how does that work? You know, we weren't really sure. We were making it up as we went along. But um, pretty soon there was about 25 new retailers. And, you know, we just saw whole range of new, new marketing channels come in, heavy discounting, et cetera. Um, and, you know, we also saw at that point a lot of overseas, overseas investment coming in. So we had the likes of American Electric Power, uh, Scottish Power and others coming in to try and buy in into this market to get, if you like, an insight into what might happen into their markets around the world. Um, so that sort of brings us up to 2005. And by then, a lot of those new entrants from overseas had said, this is too hard. Um, you know, we're going. Uh, and of course, we, we saw the emergence then of, you know, what we'd call the big five now, the AGLs, the Origins, um, you know, the Snowies, uh, the Energy Australia, et cetera. Um, so that sort of brings us up to sort of 2005. And I think the next phase for me was really, we saw this, we saw this phase of consolidation um, and the rise of the Gentiler. So, you know, the standalone retailers like Australian Parent Gas, I think by that stage, you know, Australian Parent Gas had got up to about 300,000 customers. Um, they were being acquired by the, the big companies. So, you know, APG got sold to AGL, for example. And so suddenly had a lessening of competition. Uh, and, and also through that era, we saw that standalone retailers, unless they were, you know, pegged to a generator, you know, a very risky proposition, you know, with those wholesale market, you know, conditions are pretty tough. You need a fairly deep pocket. You know, you need shareholders that are prepared to ride out those bumps in the wholesale markets. And you need a management team that sort of understands how that all works. Otherwise, you can sort of, you know, uh, you know get, go belly up overnight. So that shook a lot of that out. You know, Jen Taylor was then the, the big theme. Um, you know, if you weren't a Jen Taylor, you were nobody. You had to be backed with a, with a generator. And of course, we saw that there was a lot of stranded generators there that didn't have a retail arm. So, you know, you know that I got the call to Alinta then. They had some assets in South Australia. They were, you know, we've got generation in South Australia. We need a retail business. We better build a gentailer, you know. So 
that was kind of, I guess, you know, that period from 2005 to 2015, um, you know, Gen Taylor was the thing to be. Yeah. And, you know, we saw, if, in my mind, we saw a lessening of competition. But interestingly, though, the industry itself was very uh, interest perspective in terms of focusing on, I guess, focusing on the other retailers and not focusing on what was happening around them. And, 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 and as always happens when, you know, <laughs> market disruption is upon you, um, there's a bunch of people out there putting solar panels on roofs, um, quietly starting to, you know, um, lead us into the biggest change that we've ever seen in our market's history. Um, most of that was ignored, by the way, by the tier ones because they were busy grabbing market share off their peers and um, focusing on the on the Gentile model. Let me jump in there because that is like fascinating and and to some degree that kind of institutional knowledge is not something that I'm long on, having only entered the Australian market three or four years ago. A kind of follow up question, I suppose: How has it changed trying to create a startup retailer in that? space right because you've now had a few cracks at it has it gotten <laughs> easy or harder or or there were just new challenges each time yeah look i think um look after a linter i said i'd never do another startup retail company in fact you know uh you sort of gone off startups altogether because they just are so hard you know the, the, you know if you don't love it you're just going to give up you know it's very hard for the employees it's very hard for the shareholders it's and, in, and particularly in an industry like energy retail where the you know the wholesale commodity is so volatile like i mean unless you're really in it which you are you know and people that are in the industry will understand the volatility of the wholesale market it, it, you know it can be uh, it can be soul destroying really uh you can lose your business overnight if you don't get it right you know yeah, but I mean, um, particularly, again, just so our kind of listeners know, the, the Australian market does not have a capacity market. It's got a very volatile market that settles at, at half an hour, but moving towards five minutes. And there's been a major explosion at a coal plant in Queensland about three or four weeks ago. And so the prices in Queensland, for example, have been hitting 15 grand, which is the price cap every um, evening as the sun goes down for the past three or four weeks. So an incredibly volatile wholesale market in, in Australia. Yeah, exactly. And again, and again, you know, you sort of go back to my previous comments about, you know, you've got to be a Gentiler um, to survive. Well, I think that was true during that period I mentioned. But as I said, you know, as these businesses are out uh, putting solar panels in, we started to see that there's a new model emerging. And, you know, I think that sort of brings us nicely onto the third phase, which we're in now, you know, from sort of 2015 onwards, we've seen, well, I've seen more rapid change than I have in the past 20 years. And it's not just uh, across uh, the energy industry. We're now seeing a convergence across industries and like never before. And, and, and for perfectly logical reasons, if you start to delve into it, but, you know, you, you had solar businesses that are out there installing solar panels on roofs quietly behind the scene. We have finance companies providing finance to those solar installers because, you know, solar panels were very expensive. So let's get a loan for that. So now we've suddenly got finance in the energy in the energy market, sort of off to the side, but they're there and you've got solar installers there. Um, you know, and then you've got the uh, traditional retailers sort of trying to make sense of whether this is a friend or a foe or is there opportunity to become, you know, uh, involved in solar and battery. But that, that sort of cannibalisation of their existing markets. So... You know, there's a lot of head in the sand activity for five or 10 years saying, well, let's pretend this is not happening or we'll try it, but it doesn't really work. 
Uh, and so now we're at this point where we've had, you know, also the utility scale renewables coming in at record levels, you know. Um, so the wholesale market's starting to act in very peculiar ways. Um, all foreseeable, by the way, because, you know, we've been, people have been writing about duck curves for ages, but I think, again, you know, seeing is believing, and then we start to see suddenly during the middle of the day in the Australian market, particularly in South Australia, you know, zero wholesale prices or negative wholesale prices, and then these massive fluctuations when the sun goes down in terms of wholesale price. So disruption at every level, um, you know, probably quite foreseeable if you sat back and looked at it. But the question then is, depending where you are in that value chain, are you, you know, are you an old Jen Taylor model? Because you've got a problem there, haven't you? Uh, you know, your, your retail base is under siege and your coal-fired assets are starting to become redundant. You know, so what do you do? You try and transition your, your, your business model. Uh, what are you going to, how are you going to do that? You know, an interesting discussion. New entrants are coming in saying, well, how do we get into this market that's more volatile than ever than on the wholesale side of things? And, you know, you know, where do we go to for wholesale supply, which leads to, you know, things like behind the meter solar and battery, um, which is where we're seeing, you know, a lot of sort of progress being made in Australia in the last sort of three to four years. So, look, they're, they're the three phases, mate. That was a pretty long-winded answer, but I think we're at the... We're at the really pointy end of a really big transition at the moment. People have been talking about it for a while, but I'm really seeing it now. We're seeing it in the customers. We're seeing it in the wholesale market. We're seeing it in the disruption on the tier ones, and we're seeing new entrants come in with very different business models. It's, it's no longer, to answer your question, you know, we never really started and went out to set out to build a new retailer. We set out to build a new business model. Yeah, yeah. Well, just on that note then, could you perhaps talk about nectar's point of difference so you showed me the app the last time we caught up and it and it looked awesome and you know my understanding of kind of nectar's model is that whilst traditionally the gen tailors had seen kind of behind the meter rooftop behind the meter battery as a, as a threat to their thermal assets nectar's kind of gone completely in a different direction and embracing those assets whether it's evs batteries rooftop solar um, to kind of, you know, optimise them and give the c customer more insight into the performance and operation of those assets. I've probably done a poor job of summarising your business model there. Could you do a, a better job of that, essentially? Yeah, sure. Look, um, you know, I stepped out for a couple of years and, um, you know, a mate of mine, we tried to go into telecommunications and have a crack at that. We thought, how, how hard can that be um, <laughs> compared to energy? Um, so we, we blew a few dollars there, learning the hard way that... Um, the national broadband rollout wasn't the opportunity we thought it was. Um, so, you know, with my tail between my legs um, and, and quite bruised from that experience, um, I got a phone call about maybe you'd like to come back to energy. And, and, and really the answer was no three times in a row until the lady that approached me from the recruitment agency said, have you even bothered to sort of work out who Hanwar is? Um, and I said, no, I haven't. She said, well, why don't you jump on the website and have a look before you say no for the fourth time? Um, and lo and behold, you know, uh, you know Hanwha is the biggest company that I'd never heard of, and I'm sure many of your listeners may not have heard of Hanwha. And um, to give you an idea, they're a, they're a South Korean um, conglomerate. Um, they, uh, I think, they're the seventh largest company in South Korea. Um, they have revenues of about 60 billion US per annum and assets of around 182 billion. Um, they own Q-Cells, which is uh, probably a well-known brand in Australia in terms of solar panels. They're the largest manufacturer of, well, one of the largest manufacturer of solar panels in the world. 
um, they've got 11 gigawatt pipeline of utility scale PV, which is a big number, and seven gigawatt hour pipeline of utility scale batteries. So, you know, after a bit of a Google search, I sort of went back to Liz and said, hey, actually, they, <laughs> they look like they might be a serious player. And um, why do they want to come into the Australian market and set up a, an energy retailer? And the answer was they didn't. They wanted to set up a, a value chain business that looked at, at the entire value chain from uh, renewable uh, utility scale generation and batteries right through to the end consumer. And, and that really sparked my interest because, you know, you know, to our earlier sort of discussions around Gentiler, you, you still need to be a Gentile in this market, but you need to be a renewable energy Gentiler. And to be a renewable energy Gentiler, you need to have solar and batteries, but to do that properly, you need to have them at every end of the value chain. Um, and so then we, we really thought about that, the emergence of the fintechs and the importance of uh, technology sort of bringing that all together. And we realised that we had this phrase, the digital Gentiler, right? And it was clunky. Uh, and we've refined that to say that we're an NTech, an energy technology business. But NTech to us means all those things we've spoken about, um, utility scale solar, utility scale battery, um, a retail and trading operation um, behind the meter, solar and battery, but all brought together to customers via an app so that they, and look, we're not totally a digital business. We've got a call center and those sort of things, but you know, we do have a view that you, know, you should be able to do 90% of what you want to do over a mobile device, just like you would with your bank, et cetera. And you know, this is why we're seeing the fintechs in particular uh, uh, you know, I've got my eye on those very closely because, you know, those businesses above all, I think, are the, are the biggest threat to the traditional retailers. It's super interesting. And just building off that a little bit, my understanding was that Nectar was the first Australian company to sign a contract with Octopus's energy Kraken technology platform. And we hear a lot of excitement around Kraken and, and Greg Jackson was on the podcast a couple of months ago. Um, singing its virtues. My understanding is your team has done some work to kind of even go beyond Kraken and, and, and build off that platform. But can you talk a little bit about the platform, what it's done for you, how you've developed it, and basically what's its point of differentiation for your business? Yeah, sure, sure. Um, well, I think, you know, there's no doubt a core part of what we do is energy retail, standalone energy retail. Um, and to do that, you need a you know, billing and call centre system. Um, most startup retailers do that through third-party relationships. And traditionally in the Australian market, there's been you know, the, the usual suspects. There'll be Gentrac, Agility, um, Brave and others that have served the industry well for, for many years. But again, I think every time I do a startup, I, I don't really want to go back and you know, do what we've done before. Um, I had a bit of a look around and there... Um, there was a couple of new new players coming in the market, Tally and others that looked really good, but were just a little bit early for where we were. Um, but I think they will be. I think they'll be good players in the Australian market very shortly. Um, but at that time, you know, an ex-colleague that was working at Octopus reached out to me and said, "Hey, we've got this. We've got this uh, system cracking. Um, we believe we're a technology business. We want to take this system globally, which, you know, anyone that's read anything about Octopus will have seen that's actually happened. Mm. And uh, John Paul, JP, the, the guy at Octopus and Greg came over and said, hey, we'd like to perhaps support Nectar in, in getting into the Australian market. Um, 
and we took a punt on that and said yes. So we signed a contract and, uh, you know, we're in the market, we're operating, um, you know, and we're very happy with that outcome. I think, you know, largely because, you know, Greg and John and the Octopus team are just lovely people to work with. You know, it's just, mm. it just makes all the difference, you know, mm. um, been very flexible in their approach to helping us get our tech stack um, aligned with what, you know, our direction is. I think um, I would point out that, um, you, know, sh- you know, shortly after that, you would have seen um, Kraken's, you know, done deals uh, with Origin. In fact, there was a, an investment um, by Origin into Octopus and Eon and others. And I think the, the Kraken system um, itself is very, very well suited to large call center, call center based businesses where mm. they're looking to reduce their, their headcount and their costs for, for, for large call centers. I think it makes absolute sense. Um, for Nectar, though, we saw that we don't want to build a big call center. We want to, like I said, we want, we want to build a, you know, a, a digital first approach. Um, so we're wrapping a lot of our technology around the Kraken core engine um, and, you know, and using APIs into those systems to sort of present a, a customer layer that we want to um, for our customers. And our proposition is slightly different. It's not just retail, you know, it's, it's retail battery, finance, um, solar. So, you know, more and more, I think, you know, technology is becoming critical to these businesses, but you've got to have a, you've got to have a technology that enables you to connect to others via API. Um, and, you know, really, I'd say our in-house development team, our expertise is the ability to take information via API from other people's systems and present it in a way that we want to to our customers. And that's what we've been doing, essentially, for the last sort of two years. Yeah, yeah. A slightly different question, but I mean, obviously, you've had a very entrepreneurial career in energy. Um, and Australia is kind of notorious uh, for being a series of oligopolies in some way. There are four banks, two supermarkets, three insurers, uh, you know, f- five big energy companies. But, you know, Australia has had a real emphasis, I think, over the last decade around trying to simulate innovation, startup culture, all those kind of things. What's your assessment of the state of the Australian energy startup and innovation space? Do you see kind of new and innovative companies coming in at a smaller scale and, and disrupting um, as, you know, the Gen Taylors and the others are facing their own difficulties? And, and to be honest, this is a bit of a blind spot for Aurora because often we work with on grid scale investment projects, offshore wind, you know, major assets. We, we tend to less to work with the smaller kind of startup community. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, look, I think it's always been there. Um, but what, you know, you, you, your point's valid that you know, any half-decent startup historically has been acquired by the larger oligopolies, right? If you're any good, you get you get bought and then it becomes back to, you know, the, the major players. In fact, you know, that's quite a lucrative model if you're if you're an entrepreneur and you want to, um, you know, it's, you know if for those that are interested in the young and want to have a crack, one, a really good way to get rich is take on the big guys uh, you know, hurt them for a little while and they'll probably buy you. Um, and that's that's essentially been the model we've worked on for some years. Um, the reality, though, is that it, more and more we're seeing new innovative startups that are being backed by large internationals or, you know, uh, that, that have got the horsepower on the balance sheet to not have to succumb to an attempting acquisition offer. Um, you know, they're happy to write it out and build a, an even positive business and, and, and let it stand in its own right. And, you know, let's look at some examples. We've got, 
We've got Bright Solar Finance. Um, you know, it's it's backed by Mike Cannon Brooks uh, and, and Co. That's a brilliant business. You know, Solar Finance business. They're just entering entering into energy retail. I've got no doubt that's going to be an outstanding uh, business. It already is, in fact. Um, but they'll they'll do a very good job of coming into the energy retail space. The, the Bright Energy team are ex Macquarie guys, right? Ah, uh, yeah, Catherine is, and uh, you know, you know, and, and Mike Cannon Brooks is in there on the on the shareholder side. Um, mm. you know, like I said, they'll they'll go very well. Um, um, we've got uh, businesses like Sorted Services. It's a property tech business. You know, that's a business that's uh, you know it started its life intentionally as a as an app to bring together electricity, gas, telco, uh, property management. Uh, you know, really innovative stuff. Um, you know, on the VPP, uh, virtual power plant, peer-to-peer trading side of things, we've got Evergen, GreenSync, Reposit, PowerLedger. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of companies out there. I've spoken to most of them. They're uh, switched into another great business. You know, they're, mm. they're operating uh, small teams, small tech teams, getting into the detail of how metering config works and how to dispatch, you know, behind the meter assets. Um, and, I, you know, and again, you'll see these companies starting to be, um, bought by other players or merge. Uh, there'll be a secondary market that comes out of that. But I, personally, I think actually the Australian startup you know, space is, is pretty strong at the moment. Um, mm. You may not hear about them because they're just busy trying to build the value and prove that, that it all works. But that's certainly alive uh, and kicking as far as I'm concerned. Terrific. To, to take a step back then, I mean, as you described, you know, the, the Gen Tailors went through this kind of reform period, but the whole Australian retail and wholesale market has evolved pretty significantly. I suppose at the kind of heart of those reforms was this um, wholesale-only market design, five-minute settlement, uh, lots of volatility, um, and, and a kind of, you know, slightly hands-off uh, approach for government, at least in theory, if, if sometimes not in practice. We have seen uh, over the last decade, but particularly the last few years, I think, in Australia, a rising level of government intervention in energy markets. Uh, New South Wales has, has rolled out a big plan through the roadmap to deliver lots of renewables and, and storage. And that's also been true on the retail side with default market offers and, and things like that. What, what's your take on this kind of rising policy intervention? Is it inevitable as we go through this kind of once in a generation energy transition? Or would you like to see it done in more targeted ways? Or does it not bother you and you're just kind of cracking on with, with building a business? Well, it doesn't bother me. I, I, look, you know, if you want to come into this market, then you need to realise that it is, you know, it's an essential service. Um, yep. It's a, heavily regulated and there's good reasons for that. Um, you, you know, you need to come in understanding the rules of the game and, and make sure that, you know, you're trying to keep ahead of that and, and leverage opportunities that arise out of that. Mm. Um you know, you're not always going to get it right and it's not always going to go your way. And, you know, we've, we've seen plenty of examples now with, you know, with the utility-scale solar and loss factors and the, and the like, but that's, that's happening for good reason because, you know, to your point, Hugo, you know, Australia, you know, it's got the highest penetration of rooftop solar in the world. You know, it's, it's utility-scale solar's, you know, you know, just gone through a massive spike in terms of, you know, generation coming online. It's going to have impacts that are real on the network. Mm. You know, and and it happened so quickly in Australia that we're trying to catch up. And I think, you know, the regulators are actually trying to do the best they can to keep up with a market that's just booming um, and trying to, you know, deal to some very real issues. Um, but, you know, this, for me, it always creates opportunity. I mean, I sort of, you know, I think 
it's very easy to sit back if you're if you're a tier one and just sort of have a fight with a regulator. You got a balance sheet to do it, and that's what you've always done. But if you've got an entrepreneurial mindset, you look at you know, let's do South Australia for example. You know, we're seeing maybe for the first time talk about um, you know poles and wires networks switching off people's solar panels so they can't export into the grid. You know, and that's getting a lot of airplay. But, you know, mm. all that's going to do is drive the mum and dad consumer to want a battery so they can, you know, keep control of their energy needs. So, you know, the obvious advantage out of that regulatory outcome is get ready to put batteries in homes in South Australia. Um, you know, if, if you're not in that market, then the obvious thing to do is say the regulatory framework is unfair and being disadvantaged. So I think, you know, you know, it's called business. You know, you know, we can make of it what we want. It's how you deal to the cards that are in front of you that's important. Yeah, I, I think that's very true. I mean, I always say, I think that where Australia is a snapshot of the future um, is in the penetration of behind the meter, rooftop solar and uh, generation and the various grid issues that it is running into because it is a long, thin, you know, relatively fragile grid. And, and so it's hit these issues faster than a lot of other places. Um, so it, it will be interesting to see how the market copes with both those problems. You know, personally, I think kind of the battery investment cases are strengthened by both those issues. You know, as, as you say, Aurora, we're very bullish on behind the meter battery penetration. If, if you kind of are going to install three gigawatts of rooftop solar each year, which is the current growth rate, which is extraordinary, then yeah. it makes sense to increasingly um, do behind the meter batteries as well. Also, if you've got a long, thin grid where you're seeing lots of issues with thermal curtailment, um, marginal loss factors in Australia, which are a kind of manifestation of a, of a congested grid, it absolutely makes sense to put batteries in, in the right part of the grid. So, so you're right, you know, Australia is a, kind of coming up against these issues, but it also creates massive opportunities, I think. And certainly, you know, guys like yourself, but we're obviously working with Tesla, Neo, and, you know, some of the more innovative players who are looking to address those problems. Transgrid as well with its... Um, uh, uh, non-regulated asset um, as well as looking hard at hard at these things so yeah lots of opportunities particularly in the battery space I think in Australia terrific um, we we tend to wrap up these interviews with a, a few um, what we call over and underrated statements so the idea is uh, that I kind of read out a line and you give me a sense of whether you think it as a concept is over or underrated by the kind of wider market, I, I suppose. So asking you to calibrate your views against uh, the Australian energy market intelligentsia. So we've touched on this a little bit. So I, I think I know your answer, but policy certainty as a facilitator of investment decision through the energy transition over or underrated as a concept? Well, I think it's overrated. And the reason I think that is because the rules are fairly clear and you usually get a fairly, fairly good lead time of, of what's about to happen or what could happen. You know, not many other industries you get that. You know, like I said, the South Australian example is a classic. You know, we've got a very early indication that we might have to prepare to put batteries into people's homes because the consumer is going to be annoyed about, you know, having their solar turned off, the export. I mean, that's a great thing, right? So, you know. Um, you know, the flip side of that is, you know, you know, if you if you got burnt with the you know changes to the you know, the loss factors for utility scale, then you know maybe that's hurt your project economics and your project hasn't gone up. Now we've certainly lived through that. Um, we've had a couple of projects that have suffered that, but it comes to it comes down to conviction, right? You know, mm -hmm. outside of the policy framework, you know, what do we know is happening? 
you know, the market fundamentals are the coal-fired assets are starting to come out of the market. In fact, they're starting to fail quicker than we, we thought. Um, we've got, you know, really high penetration of solar rooftop in Australia, the highest in the world. That's going to translate to behind the meter batteries. We're going to need a technology that enables us to connect them for our consumers and also for the poles and wires networks. I mean, the fundamentals are there. You know, people have been talking about this for a while, the, but the people that talk about it very rarely get into it and try and solve the problem. You know, and these are complex problems to solve. So, you know, um, the framework's the framework. The people that will make... Uh, make the best out of this, the ones that are happy to have a, a bit of a go and have the conviction to, to, to fail along the way um, and find a way through. Yeah. So an, another concept to over-underrated. So I, I think Australia is the only country that had a carbon price and then subsequently removed it. Most countries that, that have them t tend to keep them in. Um, Scott Morrison was at the G7 meeting in, in Cornwall and, and by all reports was receiving some pressure to announced net zero targets by 2050, which all the states have done, but the federal government has not set as a target in Australia. Over or underrated, the kind of impact of global sentiment on climate change on Australian domestic politics, do you think the impact's over or, or underrated? Well, I think that's sort of in two parts. Well, firstly, let me say, I think that Australia will um, absolutely um, smash net zero targets by 2050, if not before. But they'll do that through the will of the people and the will of the businesses that I've, you know, that we've mentioned that are committed to making that transition happen. And that will be largely independent of what the policy framework is, although that will have an impact on that to some extent. Mm. But, you know, we keep, you know, it sort of drives me a bit crazy, right, because we keep hearing this rhetoric that, you know, Australia is behind the rest of the world in its approach to climate policy. But what is missing in that message is the things that we've covered. Australian households, mums and dads in Australia, have got the highest penetration of rooftop solar by a country mile anywhere in the world. Now, where, why doesn't that message get out there and say, well, actually, look at the Australian people. They're leading the world on climate change. It's getting overshadowed by the, you know, the, the, the headline, which is, you know, we're not committing to a net zero target. Now, the, that's going to happen. It has to happen. Um, you know, there'll be some timing around those announcements, no doubt. But I, again, I think to your earlier sort of question, Hugo, if you're gonna sit there as an entrepreneur or a businessman and wait to be led by policy before you make a decision, then you're gonna to be too late to the party. So, so one final question, um, is there anyone in, particularly the Australian energy space, I suppose, that you read or listen to, you know, this could be a kind of uh, business leader, a writer, uh, a podcaster, that you think is always good and thought provoking and kind of relevant to you as an operator? in the private sector? Is there anyone who springs to mind as a recommendation maybe for the, our listeners to give a, a follow to? Uh, not, none sort of come to mind. I, look, I, honestly, I, I try and listen to our customers first in terms of where we're trying to head. Yeah. And more and more, I'm, I'm looking outside of the market. I'm, I'm really looking to, to the financial industry and the tech industry and seeing yeah. you know, what FinTech is doing and how that translates to the digitization of energy. Um, you know, to be honest, if the traditional retailers were going to innovate and disrupt themselves, they would have done that 10 years ago. And I think that, yeah. I think that, uh, that, that ship has sailed. No, interesting. And certainly again, echoes kind of Greg Jackson's comments on this podcast a couple of months ago, where, you know, he is at pains to describe Octopus as a technology company and, and less so an energy company. And, and certainly seems to get his inspiration from Silicon Valley rather than academic 
um, energy work. Um, Andrew, that's terrific. We've, we've taken up a lot of your time, but we've covered a huge amount there in, in kind of 35, 40 minutes. Um, I know you're incredibly busy. Um, we're enormously appreciative. So thank you again and, uh, and all the best. Thanks, Hugo. It's been, it's been really good. Thanks for the opportunity. Speak soon. That was Hugo Batten, Managing Director of Aurora in Australia, talking to Andrew Butler, CEO of Nectar. Do keep an eye on our podcast feed for more in-depth conversations with senior members of the energy industry. The best way to do this is to subscribe on whatever platform you use. Thanks for listening and goodbye.